0: Uh, first sort of significant memory was 1986 when the Red Sox lost the World Series to the Mets, the Bill Buckner play. And first time I ever cried over sports was, was 86. And what I know now is when you cry over a team, you're going to be loyal to that team for the rest of your life. And so, so I like the Red Sox when nobody hated the Red Sox. Like a lot of people don't like the Red Sox now, but the reason people don't like them now is because they're actually good. I liked them when I liked them when they were like the NC State Wolfpack. Nobody hates the Wolfpack. You got to be good until <laughs> people start hating you. And so so I liked them when no I liked them when nobody disliked them. And 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 I remember as a, as a fan as a kid growing up, every year it'd be kind of the same story. They would do well in April and May and maybe even into June. And long about the time we would get out of school and I'd be able to stay up to watch the entire game. They, they would start to tank. And so this happened year after year after year. And and then in the early 2000s, they actually started to get pretty good. I was well into uh, well into my 20s. And I remember 2003, they got really close and lost another heartbreaking, uh, another heartbreaking fashion to the Yankees, which is kind of how it always went. And and then in 2004, I remember going into it with this sense of like, this is our year. And, and, and so I'm, I'm watching every game, and, and, and my whole life in my, throughout my 20s, uh, my schedule was dictated by if the Red Sox were playing, and I would watch every single game, and I was a loyal fan, I had all the gear, like if you, there was no one that was more loyal th- than I was, and, and so 2004 was like that moment where like, okay, this is the year where it's all finally going to come together. And if you know the story, which if you're a sports fan, you do. They immediately, in the American League Championship Series, were down three games to none to the Yankees. And it was just, it was just this brutal, horrible feeling. I was in Tennessee with, with my wife, and we had one child at the time. And uh, we had been at a church the night before. And so the next morning, um, my wife said to me, she said, all right, say something. I'll never forget. We were in Tennessee walking into Walmart. And I said, all I know is I'm just done. Like, I've been a loyal fan. I've dealt with the, the, the beatings the, that they've taken as a team. I've, I've been there when people have made fun of me, and, and, and I've just continued to be loyal. I've watched all the games. I've done everything that you could possibly do as a fan, and I'm just, I'm just tired of dedicating my life to watching a team that is just going to collapse every year. I said, so tonight I'll watch the game. And they'll probably lose tonight, but I'm but I'm a loyal fan. I'm going to be with them to the end of this game. And then it was almost like my breakup speech. And then and then we're done. We're we're going to go. We're going to go our separate ways. And I, and I'm not going to put as much effort and energy into this anymore. And I just said like I'm just I'm done. And if you know the rest of the story, they ended up coming back and winning that series, won the World Series, and it's been happily ever after ever since. And we're back together, and we have a, a <laughs> healthy healthy happy relationship now uh, for for many years. But. But I had that moment where I was just like, I'm done. And, and, and I would define an I'm done moment as significant effort over time without desired results. And, 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 it, you, and you may know what I'm talking about. In, in life, we have moments like that. where We're, we're working really, really hard for some, of you this, for some of you this morning. You know what I'm talking about because it's a relationship. Maybe your marriage, you, you've, you've been fighting for your marriage. You've been doing everything you can do and you've been giving significant effort over time. And the results just are not there. And as we come up on the close of, a, of another year, you find yourself at that point where you're like, man, I've really put everything I've had into something for the past year. And as the year ends, I look and, and the results just are not there. Maybe it's, with your, maybe it's with your job or maybe a burden that you're, uh, that, that you're carrying. Maybe it's got to do with, with health. Maybe you're, you're battling something. Maybe you're battling something physically or maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's just someone that you love and care about and you've been walking with them. And you go, man, I just don't know how much more of this I can take. I've been giving significant effort over time without desired results. Maybe it's a relationship with your your kids or your parents or a family member. You've been together at Christmas, and for some of us, being with family at at Christmas is anything but relaxing, right? Like it's stressful, it's exhausting, there's conflict. Well, if we're honest about it, I think I, I could say this. Maybe you could say this as well. You... You've done, thing as a, done things as a follower of Jesus and it has been significant effort over time without the desired results. And you go, man, I just don't know how much more of this I can take. I don't know how much more of this I can do. I've reached the point where I'm just, I'm just about done. And if you've ever been there, if you are there, I want to encourage you that I've been there. I'm going to be there again. And there's likely a room full of people around you that are there or have been there. Now, now here's what, what we've come accustomed to doing. The last place you're ever truly authentic and transparent is church. So, so you may look around and say, I'm looking at a bunch of people who seem to have it all figured out, but I can promise you we don't. Like, like, like we have all been there and the Bible is full of stories. Like, like think about the people in the Bible who reach these moments where they said, I just don't know how much more this I can take. Think about David. Most of the Psalms were written in the wilderness, a lot of them when he was on the run for his life and he's crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? And he reached these moments where he said, I'm just done. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Abraham is another one. Abraham said, God, I'm waiting for your promise and it's just not happening the way I thought it would happen. So so let me help you, God. Let me go have another child with another woman and maybe that's the child that you promised me. Or I think of Jeremiah, the prophet, who said to God, God, I, I, I'm about done with being a prophet. And probably the greatest example, my favorite example, is in 1 Kings chapter 19, which was just read. 1 Kings chapter 19 is about a guy named Elijah. Now, now, let me give you a little bit of a backstory because I think the backstory is important before you talk about uh, before you talk about his I'm done moment. If you go back into first Kings chapter 18, Elijah is this great prophet uh, uh, in the nation of Israel under the rule of King Ahab, who was probably the most wicked king the nation of Israel ever had. And so he is the, the, the voice of God speaking on behalf of God in the midst of this, this wicked, vile nation. And so he, he decides to challenge the prophets of Baal to, to a duel. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two altars. And we're going to take turns praying to our God. You, you pray to Baal and, and, and pray that he'll send fire down from heaven to ignite the, the altar. And he said, and then when you're done, if, if fire hasn't come down from heaven, I'll pray to my God and see if, if he'll ignite the altar. And then we'll know which God is the real God. And so Elijah's at this moment where, where, he, where he says, God, I need you to show up. Like, like I'm, being a, I'm being your prophet, I'm your voice, I'm your witness, and I need you to show up in a big and a powerful way, and so the Bible says the prophets of Baal, they were able to go first. And it said they started early in the morning, so they're praying, they're, they're around this altar, and they're praying, and it says that, that, that they started to get violent, like they're cutting themselves, they're doing all these things, like frantically begging this God that they worship to show up and send fire down from heaven. And then Elijah, Elijah, I really like, because I think Elijah and I have some similarities. Um, Elijah was pretty sarcastic. If you read, if you read the passage of scripture, he starts to talk, to, to talk some trash about new. It's like he lets them do their thing for a while, and then, and then he starts to say things. And this is, in, this is in 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, maybe you need to yell louder. Like, like, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's doing something else. Maybe he's napping. Like, maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe he's on a far journey. He even says to them, maybe he's in the bathroom. Like, 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 moms, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you go in the bathroom and all of a sudden your kids need something. They're like, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe if you yell louder, he'll come out of the bathroom. He'll, he'll send fire down from heaven and, and he'll ignite this, this altar. And eventually they, they realize it's not going to happen. And so then Elijah says, all right, now it's my turn. And Elijah immediately begins to add some, some drama to, uh, to the scene. Anybody watch the show America's Got Talent? It's a show our, our family uh, loves to watch in the summer. What, America's Got Talent is the show you watch when all the good shows are, are not on, right? Everything in the fall and the spring goes away, so there's nothing else to watch. So we watch America's Got Talent. But I picture like this scene as Elijah's there, and, and, and he's like, I want to get through to the next round. So he's like, I'm going to call fire down from heaven. fire down from heaven certainly is going to get me to the next round. But he says, I don't just want the next round. I want the golden buzzer. If you know what that is, you hit the buzzer and you skip all of the preliminary rounds and you immediately go to the live shows um, on on TV. So he's like, I want golden buzzer. So he says, here's the deal. Before I start praying, I want you to dig a trench around the altar. And, And then hold on, hold on. Not just a trench. I want you to to douse the altar with water. So many buckets that it completely drenched this wooden altar and filled up the trench around it. And then the Bible says that Elijah bowed, prayed to God, and God sent fire down from heaven. And this is where God shows up and God shows off. God sends fire down from heaven and it says it ignited the altar. And the Bible says that it licked up the the water out of the, the trench around it. This is total golden buzzer worthy. And so Elijah prays and God does this. And it's this incredible miracle. And, and there's this sense with Elijah that, okay, now God has shown up. We know who the true God is. It says they went and killed the 450 uh, prophets of Baal. I'm not really sure what we're supposed to do with that. I'm not telling you to go uh, murder any prophets or anything like that, any false prophets. But, but it kills the, the prophets. And it's like God is the real God. Like Yahweh is, is the true and real God. And everybody here knows it, and everybody here sees it. And then in chapter 19, you think, man, how, how, if you experience that, the next day, like, how, how, how high of a cloud are you going to be on? Like, just celebrating the greatness and the sovereignty of God. He's in control. He showed up. He, he, revealed, he revealed who he was, and, and no one around can deny it. And then in chapter 19, right after this happens, it says that when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, who was the queen, everything Elijah had done. Including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal, you just get the sense that this is like a, a four-year-old whining to his mom. Verse 2 So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. And when you read that, knowing what just happened in, in chapter 18, how do you think Elijah should respond? Like, bring it on, woman. Like, did did you see what just happened? Like my God already beat up your God, you're next in line. Like, like, did you see what my God just did? In verse three, it says Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Like, hold on a second. Just a chapter earlier, there's hundreds of prophets of Baal and a nation of people gathering gathering around to watch, who are likely ridiculing him. He is like one against the masses, and he's not afraid. And then now the queen says, I'm going to kill you. And it says he was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and he left his servant there. He went from triumph. He went from victory to defeat. So what happened? Elijah has an I'm done moment because, because he says, I've been giving significant effort over time without desired results. What, what did he want to happen in chapter 18? He wanted the people to turn to God. But even though God showed up in this powerful and profound way, nothing among the people changed. And he says, man, I've given significant effort over time without desired results. Verse four, it says, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Now, now, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. We all need to experience solitude. Solitude is about refreshing, about recharging isolation it says he left his servant and he he didn't go to get alone with God he went to get alone from everything including God he was he was seeking isolation nothing good happens when we isolate ourselves from anyone and everyone including God And so that's what Elijah is doing it says he goes alone into the wilderness traveling all day sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die he says I've had enough Lord he says I'm done He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He says, God, I've been following you. I've been faithful to you. I've been serving you. And and, and what do I have to show for it? Significant effort over time without the desired results. Things didn't happen the way he thought they were going to happen. And I can promise you as a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times in our lives where we're going to be in this exact same place because we look around us and we go, things are not happening the way I thought they would happen. As a pastor, I've experienced moments like that. As a pastor, I've been there. As a follower of Jesus, I've been there. And and, you know, somewhere along the way, somebody told us, hey, follow Jesus and all your problems are going to go away. And that sounds really good. The only problem is you will never find that in the Bible. Jesus never promised that. In fact, Jesus promised that we would experience persecution. There would be suffering. He he said, the only thing that's different is you don't have to go through it alone. I'll, I'll, I'll go through it with you. And so Elijah says, I'm, I'm done. He says, I've, I've had it. And so now how does God respond, to, how does God respond to, to Elijah's kind of being in this I'm done place? If you think about it, God could have said, hey, Elijah, what just happened a couple of days ago? Like, Elijah, stop whining, man up. You knew what you were getting into when you said yes to being a prophet. You knew Ahab was the most wicked king the nation of Israel would ever have. And you said yes, you knew what you were getting into. But it goes on and in verse 5 it says that Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. Um, Sometimes when you don't have answers, the best option is just take a nap. So it says he goes and he takes a nap. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. Here's how God responds. An angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. So he sends an angel to feed him, to extend him grace. Verse, verse six is maybe my favorite verse in the entire Bible. It says, he looked around, like try to picture yourself in this, in this place. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Could you imagine what it would be like to be waking up to bake bread by your head? Like, like, I, like I think of dream scenarios in my life, like the top 10 dream scenarios in my life involve me waking up to bake bread at my head. And so God shows up and, and he sends his angel and there's this hot bread. I gotta imagine there's probably some butter next to it as well. And so there's there's this hot bread right there ready for him. It says he eats. And it says he 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 ate and he drank and he, Laid back down again, I I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving, that's when the good nap really happens, is right after you eat. So it says that God shows up. And you know, in my life and in your life, we will experience things that will leave us discouraged, low. And in the midst of those moments, God always shows up. God has always shown up in my life. He doesn't always show up the way I want, but he always shows up the way I need. And you see in, in this story, like, like God is moved by Elijah's admission of weakness. God doesn't get defensive. God doesn't get angry. God is, is moved and takes action because Elijah admits that he's, that he's weak. You know, today we, we, often, we often hang our hat on our, on our ability to be strong. Like, like we, we've got to project strength for everyone. And, we, and a lot of times we even think we've got to project strength to God. We've got to put up this front that no matter what we're walking through, we're strong and we're good and, 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 and everything's going to be fine. And, and while we may know and believe that God is ultimately going to work things together for our good, it doesn't mean that right now we're not struggling. It doesn't mean that, that, that right now we're not questioning why he's allowing this to happen. And I want you to know today, whatever you may be walking through, if you're weary, if you're discouraged, if you're tired of the circumstances you're walking through, I want you to hear this. God is not impressed by our strength. Like strength does not impress a God that possesses infinite strength. January 1st is is right around the corner. Who's already already decided 2019 is my year? Like 2018 was supposed to be your year, but by February, you know that was going to happen. So it's like 2019, that's going to be me. I'm going to hit the gym, like washboard abs, like I'm going to be chiseled. And, that, and that's you for, for 2019. You, you're like, man, I'm, I'm ready for it. And you're going to roll into the gym on January 1st. And that first day, maybe you're going to take like a couple of 10-pound dumbbells and you're going to be curling them. And you're going to be a little bit impressed with what you're doing. And then you're going to look over there next to you at the guy who basically was born in the gym has been on steroids his entire life. And like you're looking at him with your ten pounders going, man, like you like what you see, don't you? And he's over there with the, you know, like hundreds of pounds of weight, like just kind of laughing at you. And, and and sometimes I just picture like like this is me looking at God thinking somehow that he's impressed at my ability to withstand pain. At my at my ability to to, to project strength on the God that possesses that possesses infinite strength. And what moves God in this story is a humble admission of weakness. What moves God is when you and I humbly admit that we're weak and we don't know if we have the strength to go on. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as Paul is writing, and, and he, he had some sort of infirmity. It says three times he asked God to remove it. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says each time Jesus responded to him and said, my grace is all you need because my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. When's the last time we boasted about weakness? We boast about strength. Look look, look at me. Look at how strong I am. Look, Look at what I can do. Look at how busy my schedule is. When's the last time you said, hey, like, sit down. I want you to tell you about my weakness. Because it's in my weakness, the power of Christ can work through me. That's what Paul said. He said, I boast... About my weaknesses, so the power of Christ can work through me. Paul says, I boast about weakness because acknowledgement of weakness forces dependence. It forces me to depend on him. And Elijah, and Elijah humbly admits this weakness as well. And he says, I'm done, I don't think I can go on, and we aren't sure how much longer he is here, but eventually the angel comes back to him in verse seven. It says, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Now that's a meal I'd like to eat. One that gives me strength for 40 days and 40 nights to travel to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Mount Sinai and Mount Mount Horeb together are kind of universal terms for the mountain of God. And Mount Sinai might not mean much to you and I But this meant everything to Elijah, and God knew it. Because because the the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, is where everything began for the nation of Israel. It It all led back to that mountain. That's where the covenant between God and the nation of Israel began. It's where Moses encountered God at the burning bush. It's where Moses received the Ten Commandments. So God calls Elijah to him. He calls him back to the place it all began to remind Elijah of what he had done in the past and to remind Elijah that what, done, what he's done in the past, he can do again today. So he forces Elijah, calls Elijah back to the place. He says, let's go back to where this all began because I want, you, I want to remind you of who I am and what I've done. You know, a good exercise for, for each of us when, when we're struggling, a good exercise is to stop and look back and remember the things that God has done for us in the past. Because when we're struggling, if your marriage is struggling, if you're worried about losing your job, if you're battling disease or sickness, when you're walking through that, sometimes that's all you can see. And for Elijah, that's all he could see. And God said, let's step back and and let's, let's remember what I've done. To remind us, Remembering what God has done will remind us that his presence is just as real in the darkness as it is in the light. That God is just as much in control when everything makes sense and when everything is spinning out of control. God is sovereign. God is is in control. You know, I've come to realize in in my own life, and, and maybe you can identify with it as well, but when everything works out the way we want it to work out, we celebrate the sovereignty of When I get the job, when I get the girl, when my finances are going well, when everything sort of falls into place, God is sovereign and we worship and we praise and we exalt him for it. But when I don't get the house, when I don't get the car, when I don't get the job, all of a sudden I'm questioning his sovereignty. And stepping back and remembering what he has done in the past will help us, will be a helpful reminder to us. That what he's done, he can do again. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Elijah from here goes out on the, the mountain. and He has this incredible encounter with God. Where it says that God shows up, and you can continue to read in the story if you want, and reveals himself to Elijah in a way he had never done before. He showed, there's this storm, and Elijah thinks, oh, God is in the storm. Then there's fire, and he goes, no, wait, he must be in the fire. And then the earthquake. And each time it says, but God wasn't in those things. It says eventually there was a still small voice whispering in the storm, whispering in the chaos, says I'm I'm here, I'm still in control, and you can trust me. And today that still small voice screams into our chaos. When life is spinning out of control, it whispers, I'm here, you can trust me, I'm in control. Because just like Elijah, every one of us experience those moments where we go, I just don't know if I can continue to do this. I don't know if I have the strength to go on. And in those moments, God call this moment, God calls Elijah to him and Jesus in the in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus calls us to him as well. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He starts with an invitation and the invitation is to those who are willing to admit their weakness. It's not an open invitation to people who think they're strong enough to get through it by themselves. It's an open invitation to anyone who will admit and and embrace that they're weak. And you know, it doesn't take strength to project strength. It takes strength to admit weakness. That what we're carrying that what we're burdened by, that what we're weighed down with is causing us to come to a place where we don't know if we can, we don't know how much more we can take. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. But He goes on and he says, but, but rest comes at a price. See, we want rest if I said, hey, do you, do, you, do you want relief from your problems? We'd be like, yes. Do you want relief from the struggles? Absolutely. But are you willing to pay the price that Jesus says it costs us in order to experience that rest? Verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. That phrase, let me teach you, is a similar word to the word Jesus used when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus was obsessed with this idea of making disciples. He says, let me teach you. Let me disciple you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. He says rest comes at a price. That price is taking his yoke upon us. The yoke was a heavy wooden bar that, that would have been placed in the neck of an ox so that it could pull a, a cart or so that it could plow. Uh, sometimes it would, be, it would be just over one animal, but in most cases it was shared by two. And whenever they would take two animals and have them plow together, there would always be a stronger animal and there would always be a weaker animal. The stronger animal would be the one that was able to do the heavy lifting. They were more schooled in the master's way of doing things. They knew the commands and the voice of the master. They had experience. And the weaker animal's responsibility was to submit to learning from the stronger animal. But the only way the process would work is if the weaker animal would surrender control to the stronger. And and, and this is a great picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to surrender control of all of our lives to him. And he says, if you want to experience rest, it's not going to happen until you're willing to surrender and yield control of all of your life to me. In Romans chapter 12, it says that that, that we're called to present our bodies a living sacrifice. See, when Paul's writing, they knew what sacrifice looked like in the Old Testament. You would take an animal and it had no choice in the process. You cut its throat and it it became an involuntary sacrifice. It it had no choice in the matter. And now God is calling us and he says, says, I'm not going to cut your throat. I want you to willingly, voluntarily choose every day to climb on the altar of sacrifice and be a living sacrifice. Surrendering control of all of your life, to me. And he says if, if we will surrender control of all of our lives to him, if we'll submit to him as, as our Lord, listen, we celebrate at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus as Savior. The Bible says he's not only our Savior, he's also our Lord, he's our Master. Wanting, wanting to, to, to be the, the center of our lives, to, to use us to be his voice, hands and feet, in the world around us. He says this rest that we're all looking for comes at a price, but it also promises us a better life. He says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's something something beautiful when you're walking through life. Like, Like we all experience problems. We all experience suffering. But when you say yes to following Jesus, he doesn't say your problems go away. He doesn't say you'll stop plowing. Your problems may not go away. Your husband may not change. Your health may not get any better. He says, when you say yes to following me, you no longer have to plow through this life alone. He says, you no longer have to be the strong one. I'll be the strong one. But you got to submit. You got to surrender control of all of your life to me. And as we surrender, as we surrender control of, of our lives, this is something I try to do every single day when I wake up in the morning, is I surrender my will. I surrender my dreams, my desires. Listen, in, in our culture today, I surrender my political views for yours. I want you to be elevated. I want you to be exalted. I want you to use me in a way that is going to bring honor and it's going to bring glory to you. And he says when we surrender to him, he provides us with the rest that every one of us is desperately searching and seeking. I'm not asking to ask you bow your heads with me right now. Just in this moment, I just, want to, I just want to lift up those of us that may be struggling. I don't know most of the people in this room. Most of you. We may look like we have it all together and all figured out. There's no telling what is going on beneath the surface. There's no telling what's going on in your home when the door closes. So right now, Father, you are the God of comfort. And I just want to pray that you would be surrender control of the outcome to you. So I just pray right now that you would be peace, that you would bring strength, that you would be our comfort. It's in Jesus' name and I pray it. Now comes a time for our tithes and our offerings. And we give not because we have, to, or because it's going to earn us his favor or it's going to make